Sure, I get upset sometimes. Driving in traffic makes me angry. Waiting in line annoys me. When my kids don't listen, that frustrates me. And my husband's stupid habits completely irritate me. Driving in traffic, waiting in line, not listening, stupid habits. Angry, annoyed, frustrated, irritated. Angry, annoyed, frustrated, irritated. You think these sins are avoidable? If you ask me, I think they're absolutely necessary. Hey, everybody. Welcome today to all of our life churches and all of our network churches and those of you from all over the world at Church Online. Today we're wrapping up the fourth part of our four-part message series called Necessary Sins. And we're going to do something today that I believe is going to be really fun and also really powerful. What I'm going to do is I'm going to team teach with your local campus pastor. I'm going to set the message up and then I'm going to hand it off to your pastor so you get to hear God's word on a very important subject from the heart of your very own local pastor. Now, in this series, we've been looking at what we call necessary sins. You may say, what is a necessary sin? In our world today, there are some very obvious sins that everyone says would always be wrong. Murders, always wrong. Rapes, always wrong. Stealing, that's got to be wrong. But there are some other sins that, quite honestly, are more easy to justify. Some people would say these are kind of more acceptable or more respectable, or some might even say more necessary. For example, we looked at lying, and we found that just because it's common doesn't mean it's right. We also looked at gossip and realized that everything we say must be true, but not everything that's true must be said. We looked at lust and found from a different perspective how God would help heal us from a sin that so many people think, well, that's just who I am, that's just the way I am. Today what I want to do is, with the help of your pastor, I want to look at anger and see how it applies to our life. Anger is, again, very easy to justify and rationalize, basically saying, well, hey, if you hadn't, I wouldn't have gotten mad, or if this didn't happen, I wouldn't have lost my cool. I mean, this is just the way God made me. I'm kind of hot-headed, and this is just how I deal with things. And what we want to do is get beyond the excuses down to the root and talk about anger. Now, as we do so, we need to understand that not all anger leads to the wrong result. In fact, just to feel anger isn't necessarily a sin. In fact, we could argue there's such thing as a sanctified anger and a sinful anger. Feeling upset about something isn't where the sin occurs. It's our response to anger that leads us to do the right thing or the wrong thing. In fact, Paul said this to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. He said, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, you may feel angry, but if you don't have the wrong response, you're not sinning. In your anger, do not sin. He said, do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry. And then he said, and do not give the devil a foothold. In fact, I love the little Greek word that's translated as foothold. It's the word topos. And this word means an opportunity. It means a location. Very literally, it means a room. 
In other words, in your anger, don't give the devil a guest room in your heart. Don't let anger live unchecked and unguarded without bringing it before God and asking him to do what's right in our heart. In fact, if you look back in the very beginning of the Old Testament, there's an interesting story about two brothers, and we see how anger started leading one in the wrong direction. There was Cain and there was Abel who went to make an offering before the Lord, and Abel made a good offering, but Cain didn't. And so God rejected Cain's offering, and here's how the story goes. Genesis 4, 6, and 7, the Lord speaks to Cain and says, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now watch this. God says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But... You have a choice. Your anger can lead you to do what's right or wrong. But if you do not do what is right, check this out, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Why are you angry? Don't give the devil a guest room in your heart because if you don't bring your anger before God, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. With that, it's my honor to hand this teaching over to your campus pastor. I hope you'll show some love and show some honor. Would you please welcome your very own campus pastor. It is a, it's an honor to uh, communicate with my pastor uh, on this topic. Uh, I went home a few weeks ago, to let the family know I will be preaching the weekend before Thanksgiving, they asked, Dad, what are you going to preach on? I said, I'm going to teach on the necessary sin of anger, to which my youngest son, Seth, said, Awesome, you won't have any problem finding good stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. There, there are a couple destructive ways that we... Uh, tend to deal with our anger, uh, those of us in the room tonight, uh, there are the stewers and there are the spewers. Now, you probably already know which one you are, but just for fun, in case you don't, let's talk a little bit about how we destructively deal with our anger. The spewers, what do they do? If you're taking notes, write this down. Spewers will express their anger. And I would say probably express is a nice word. Um, it's probably more like erupt or explode or whatever you'd want to put in there, whatever verb you'd use. But spewers express their anger. Proverbs 29, 11, Solomon writes, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Over the 21 years that I've known Cindy, um, kind of a funny thing about us, I, I have kind of adopted these different names over, over the years that illustrate different aspects of my personality. Uh, the first one, uh, we were probably married for a year, and, you know, I'm a brand-new Christian. I just want to reach the world for Jesus. I'm pretty chill, kind of laid back. We're homebodies. We like to watch movies all the time. And I invited her one day uh, to go watch me play sand volleyball. Now, I'm not a competitive individual except when it comes to sand volleyball. I played most of my life, and because I'm a pastor, I can't lie, I'm pretty good. I'm, not, I'm pretty good. And uh, City came and watched. You know, we played for a couple hours, and 
clearly I dominated and all of that. And, and so we're leaving. We're going home. And she's like, honey, I've never seen you like that before. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She was like, you're psychotic. And I said, she said, she said this, I don't like Volleyball Chris. He's not allowed in our house. Volleyball Chris was the first name I got. The most recent name I have adopted was about a couple months ago. Uh, many of you know our house burned down. We lost everything. We're in a rent house. been a stressful summer, early fall. And so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a handy guy. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I build stuff. I fix stuff. I don't pay people to fix things. Even if I don't know how to fix it, I will attempt to fix it myself. And my sink, uh, our sink in the rent house isn't working, so uh, I'm just going to fix it. But the problem is all of my tools have melted. And so I've got this terrible pair of pliers, totally the wrong tool for the job, and I'm, you know, trying to tighten uh, these, you know, these water lines, and they slip, and I break the water line. Not just any water line, the scalding, boiling hot water line. And it doesn't just spray anywhere, it sprays in my eyeballs, like right here. And over the next 10 seconds, I can't really tell you what happened. Um... <laughs> I'm quite confident that I said things that would cause you to want to leave the church because I'm your pastor. And I'm pretty sure I threw the pliers across the room and I was just, I was furious. And I got up, kind of shut the water off, dried myself off, tried to compose myself. And my six foot two, 14 year old older son standing there like this. And he said, so uh, I guess this is sink faucet, Chris. And so... <laughs> Proverbs 14.7 was written for me. A quick-tempered person does what? Foolish things. I'm a spewer. And um, for many of us, let me just ask you, how many of you would be honest enough to say that when anger comes, frustration, intolerance, <laughs> the hands are already going up, <laughs> you're a spewer. For us, we feel better. But no one else feels better around us. There is collateral damage. Seriously, there is collateral damage beyond what we think when we vent our anger. It hurts people. And God has called us to be people of self-control. So there are spewers. And the next, I do not want to leave you out. They're the stewards. So what do the stewards do? If, if, if spewers express it, stewards are going to what? Suppress it. They're going to push it deep, deep, deep down. Psalm 32.3. Scripture says, this is King David. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. When I pushed down my emotion, my inside, the deepest part of my soul was damaged. All the day long. There are, there are people in here, and you, you spewers, you have knocked down, drag out fights just like the spewers do. The difference is you do it in your head, don't you? You rehearse it like you will go through every little aspect of your blown up fight. And then when the person walks into the room, you're like, and like, what did I do? And you've had this total fight, and they don't even know about it. Because you suppress it. You push it down. You know you do. You know who you are. There's a story in the, in the New Testament. It's actually a, um, 
uh, a story that Jesus told, a parable, about the prodigal son, one of the fam- most famous stories Jesus told. And if you know it, you know, the lost son, he, he asked for his share of his father's inheritance. The father gave it to him. The son goes off, the youngest son, and he goes and he spends it on a big party. Women, alcohol, just wild living. When the money runs out, the friends run out. And he wakes up with nothing in a pig pen, realizing that his father's servants, they live better than he does. And he begins to make the trek home, not hoping that the father would accept him back as the son, but that the father would maybe allow him to become a servant, because he had nothing. And so he goes home, and the father sees him. You kind of probably know the stories. A long way off, the father runs to him, throws his arms around him, puts a robe of royalty over him, puts a ring on his finger. It's a signet ring that gives him the authority to act and speak on behalf of the family. He orders that the fatted calf be slaughtered because tonight we are going to have the party of all parties. And that's pretty much, you know, we hear that story and we're like, man, that's a great story. What a great story of grace. But there is a character that we don't ever talk about. And it's the brother that didn't ask for his share of the inheritance. It's the brother that stayed home when he was supposed to stay home. It's the brother that did all the right things. And when he sees this jacked up brother of his get all this special treatment after being an imbecile, look at what Scripture says. They go into the house, and in in Luke 15, 28, Scripture says the older brother became what? Say it with me. He became And then what did he do? He refused to go in. I'm going to push it down. I'm not going to express it. I'm not going to deal with it. And you may feel like you're in control. You may feel like you're exhibiting self-control by, by suppressing those emotions. But I'm telling you, two things are going to happen. One, it's going to mess you up on the inside. And two, it will come out sooner or later. It will hurt others, but it will hurt you before it hurts others. It is dangerous how, how anger affects us. And so it is my prayer that God will speak today and that he, by his Holy Spirit, um, will help us to become not like rage bringers, but peace givers. Because that is what we're called to. Amen? So what do we do with our anger? Here's a pretty interesting thought. Fifteen times in the Bible, um, Scripture talks about anger with the metaphor or the analogy of a fire. Anger and fire, they're one and the same. The interesting thing about fire is that it's kind of a paradox. You live in northern Alaska, fire is life. You don't have fire, you're not alive. You you have to have it. It's not only productive, it's essential to live. It boils our water. It heats our homes. It keeps us warm. It cooks our food. On the flip side, fire can burn down Pastor Christian's house and everything he's ever owned. It's very destructive. All at the same time. It's productive and necessary and destructive. And anger is the same way. And so how do we deal with it? The first thing, we have to talk about sinful anger. You know, we talked about how we express it. But how do, what do we do with sinful anger? If sinful anger is a fire, if you're taking notes, please write this down. You're going to have to put it out. You are going to have to find a way to douse that emotion. You're going to have to learn to become a person of self-control. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel 
is like breaching a dam. I love that. Look, think, about the, think about the pressure behind a dam. Just waiting to come at you, pressure that you couldn't possibly contain. Starting a coil is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter, Scripture says, before a dispute breaks out. The second thing I need you to challenge you with is this. It is not just the way you are. So many times we will chalk this up to just, this is the way God made me. Mm-mm, no, he did not. Let me, let me prove it. Um, honey, I am sick to death of you making my dinner cold all the time, and you're going to Kohl's because you get 40% off coupon, and you tell me about all the money you're saving, but it, you're not saving money. You're spending money. Ring, ring, ring. Hello? Well, hello, John. How are you? Yeah, praise the Lord. Yes, I'll be at the Deacon's meeting, of course. Hallelujah. God is so good to me. All right. Bless you, too. I'll, yes, sir. I'll be. You want me to be a pastor? Absolutely. I'd love to be a pastor. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm back. To, it is learned behavior. You have the ability to control it. You do. I'm telling you. So how does that play out? You're driving. Somebody cuts you off. Ooh. So before you flip out and tell them they are number one, what if, what if you thought to yourself, man, I wonder what's going on in their lives. They, there must be something important going on for them to be in such a hurry. What if we gave people the benefit of the doubt? Hmm. What if... The person in the office next to you who can't stop talking ever, and you're, and whether you're a suppressor or an expressor, you're gonna go off internally or externally. What if you just stop for a minute and think to yourself, she's a single mom, and these are the only adult words she'll speak all day? Because the rest is just toddlers. If we would just learn to give human beings the benefit of the doubt, and recognize there are probably things going on in their world which we do not know. God would allow us not to be rage bringers, but peace givers. That is who he's made us to be. James 1, 19. Everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. Who does that include? <laughs> it includes me. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, here's a verse that we may not always talk about. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It is because when we are slow to angry, church, we become like God. Seven books of the Bible say that God is slow to anger. It doesn't say he never gets angry. It says he is slow to become angry. And if we could choose to give people the benefit of the doubt, to be peace givers, to be slow to become angry. Church, you become like God. So what do we do? We go to him and we ask him to forgive us. And we ask him to direct us. I would love to tell you today that this is not an issue for me. I would love to prepare a message that in my mind I'm like, this is for all you losers and I'm good on this. I'm good on this issue. But if I'm, I got to be real with you. 
this is not only an issue, this is my issue right now. Just to be real transparent. Um, growing up, great dad, lost him three years ago. And a few years prior to losing him, we've had some incredible conversations um, of grace and forgiveness, of restoration of relationship. Um, but growing up, dad did not control his anger. And, and so I'm a kid thinking, what am I going to say or not say, do or not do to set him off? And so you learn to walk on eggshells and you learn to live in fear. And I, I moved out of my house at 17 years old, and I went to college early because I wanted to be out. And I remember saying to myself, if God ever gives me a family, I will never, ever, ever put my kids through that, ever. About six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, um, I came home from work. And this, like I said, this has been the hardest year of our lives. And there's so much of God's goodness in, in throughout everything. But it's just been exhausting. And to be real honest, I thought I was handling the stress better than I really was. And I go home, and my incredible wife says, uh, honey, can we go have a talk? Fellas, when your wife said that to you, don't you just want to kind of say, no, uh-uh. You just push it down deep. Suppress it. I don't want to talk about it. Just... Just push it down. And so we went in the other room, and she's so godly, and she, she said um, really nice things about me. And, and she said, you know, I just thought you might want to know that over the last few weeks, pretty much every day, the boys ask me the question, what kind of mood do you think dad's going to be when he comes home? Mm. I'm not going to be that guy. And, and here I am. And so I go into their room, and we sit down and, and close the door, and, and I just asked them, honest, do you find yourself kind of intimidated by me when I get stressed out? Yeah, Dad, sometimes we do. And then I asked them a question that, gentlemen, I want to challenge you to ask your kids. I said, what do you need from me? What could I do to help you um, not be stressed out when I'm stressed out. And they were like, Dad, it's really simple. I know you're busy and the church is growing and we're building a house and all that stuff, but it'd be cool if, if we just every once in a while had fun. And I'm like, I can do that. And I made a decision that day that every single day um, I will make my boys laugh every day. Somehow, I don't know, bodily functions or jokes or whereas I don't know what it's going to be, but every day I'm going to make my boys laugh and once a week we're going to go do something cool and just have what we call be a boy time because I will not do that. I will not create that environment. And parents, it is on us, the environments that we create in our homes. And we've got to show our kids that life is not so stressful that we lose control all the time. There is more in us than that. So that's how we deal with sinful anger. But there's this other kind of anger that we haven't even talked about yet. 
And it's called righteous anger. And this is where, this is where I think many of us are kind of sitting on the bench. If you're taking notes, write this down. If sanctified anger is a fire, I need you to fan the flame. Write that down. I need you to fan the flame of that sanctified fire. I need you to take the ember of some, some issue that you say isn't right in the world in which I live and, and bring it into an inferno. So many times the, the people of God sit in a church and say amen and they go out those doors and do nothing. And our world is falling apart. Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are looking to catch him doing something illegal, which would be to work on the Sabbath. And scripture says in Mark chapter 3 verse 5 that Jesus looked around at them and say it with me, anger. Okay, the son of God who did not sin looked around at the Pharisees in anger. Therefore, this sin or this anger is not sin. It's a righteous anger. And scripture said that he looked at the hand of a man whose hand was shriveled up, who needed to be healed. And it said that he was angry and deeply distressed of their stubborn hearts and then looked at the man in his anger. His anger propelled him to do something. He looked at the man and said, stretch out your hand. And it was completely healed. You see, if we will, we will fan that ember of righteous anger by some injustice that God has put a burden on your life, and you'll fan that into an inferno, it doesn't mean that we bring destruction. It means that we do good. That's what Jesus did. And so for some of you, you look at there are 11,000 foster kids right now in the DHS system in the state of Oklahoma. And for some of you, that's not okay. You're not okay with that. And 2,500 of them tonight are going to sleep in a shelter. No bedtime stories. No kisses on the forehead. And some of you are going to have a Popeye moment. You know what I'm talking about? If you're under 30, you don't know what I'm talking about. But the older folks know what I'm talking about. Craig tells the story all the time. You know, Popeye, one of the greatest cartoons of all time. You know, he's, he, who's his uh, girlfriend? Olive oil, right? And I still don't get that. But anyway, he was into olive oil. And then his mortal enemy was Brutus. And so Brutus comes after his girl, olive oil, and, and starts making a mess. And Popeye gets to a point where he says, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. I'm done. It's over. And so he takes out the spinach and he physically don't know how it's possible, but it goes up in the air and then comes down and he eats it and his forearms become tree trunks and then he just opens up a can on Brutus and it's all good. And some of you need to have a Popeye moment. Some of you need to find something that drives you crazy in this world that is not right and get angry. And then let that anger lead you to doing something about it. Maybe you're like the, the nine families two months ago that said, I am so done with living paycheck to paycheck. I'm done with being in debt. I'm done with being a slave to the people that I owe money to. And they, they enrolled themselves in Financial Peace University. And in the course of 16 weeks, nine families paid off $102,000 of debt because they got angry about it. They did something about it. They're done with living that way. Some of you, like I mentioned before, 
Hundreds of families have taken the step to be foster parents. And hear me, you need to be called to take that step. But some of you are called and you're not listening. Let your anger propel you to do something good. Let's talk about marriages for a minute. You want to talk about what makes me righteously angry? It's that we have the hope of the world in Jesus Christ and marriages are falling apart left and right because we can't get past our selfishness and we can't let go of the wounds from yesterday. And maybe it's time for you to get angry at your enemy, not your spouse. Your spouse is not your enemy, but your spiritual enemy who would love to destroy your marriage. But you know what? You're not going to be okay with that because you're going to fan the flame of that righteous anger and say, it is not going to happen, not in this home. This home, we're going the distance. Get angry. What is it for you? My challenge is figure it out. You probably already know and let your anger drive you to do something good. Fan it. Fan it into an inferno. You know, the best news I know, church, is that we deserve God's anger. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. Our sin separates us from God. And God, in his grace, gave us Jesus. He didn't give us rage. He gave us mercy. And as a result, lives are changed. People are given a purpose to live for. And out of the overflow of what God is doing in our own hearts, so shall we live and spread the same grace that God's given us to a world that desperately needs it. Let's all pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for a moment to be honest with you today. As we're in an attitude of prayer, there are some of you in this room that you're like me. This is an issue for you, and it's hurting you, and it's hurting the people around you, and it's hurting your family. And whether you're a spewer and you express it and you have a hard time controlling it, or you're living with the constant companion of bitterness because you suppress those emotions, anger is hurting you. And you're looking to God. Today you're saying, God, put out that fire. By your grace, help me give people the benefit of the doubt. And help me live as a grace giver, not as a rage bringer. God, change me in this way. Would you lift your hands and be bold before God today? Lift it up. Come on. So many of you. God, I pray for those saying that they need a touch from you. They need God God to just live in your grace. God, that you would even calm the things that we have an intolerance to, except for those things, God, that are close to your heart. God, I pray for every family represented by those who raised their hand tonight and pray, God, that you would just do such a deep work in them and through them. And we thank you in advance, God, for loving us so much. As we continue to pray, We deserve punishment. The book of Romans says that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. And God is a just God. Someone has to pay the penalty for sin. 
And we deserve it, people. We deserve his anger. We deserve separation from him. And in our predicament with the bad news that the penalty, the consequence of sin being death and separation from God, God did something about it. He said, you know, this is not okay. I am not okay being separated from you. And he let that drive him to do something good. And that is that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life. And he died on a cross that he didn't deserve, but you and I did. For the hope that in a moment like this, maybe the light bulb will turn on in your life. And you say, I don't know him in that way. He doesn't give us what we deserve, church. He gives us what we need, forgiveness, grace, mercy, a new life. Some of you, you don't know God that way. You may intellectually know him, know about him, but you don't personally know him in a way that he's transformed you. Well, today is a day that that changes. What do you do? You call out on his name. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, forgiven, set free, made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's on you to say yes. It's on you to respond to what Jesus did on the cross for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to take a bold step of faith and say, I need Jesus tonight. I need him to forgive my sins. Boldly lift your hands right now. I want to see you. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Hand over here, right over here. I see you. Right over here. Praise God for you. Right over here in the back. Over here to my left. Middle section. Praise God for you. Right here on the front row. Both of you guys together. So incredible. Can we make a little bit more noise tonight, folks? Bro, I got you. Others of you, Jesus, I saved me. Make me new. Right over here in the back, right here in the middle section. Others of you, save me, God. I give you everything. All of us together, church, praying with those saying yes to the greatest gift of all time, the grace of our Savior Jesus. Pray this prayer with me. Father, I need you. I have sinned. I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sin, and I surrender my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could serve you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Church said, amen.